Hey everybody, welcome to the God Watch Podcast. This is Phil Goth here. I just wanted to uh, bring another show to you today. Today we had the opportunity to sit down with uh, Miss Kristen Petty at uh, Prairie Ridge Church in Ankeny. She has quite a, quite a walk where she has worked with youth, worked with the homeless, and how she's brought those two things together. I think that uh, she's got a whole lot that we could really listen to and learn, and I hope that you enjoy as much as I did. Kristen Petty, thanks so much for being here today. Just wanted to uh, invite you here, and luckily Prairie Ridge has given us the opportunity to use their building. It's beautiful, it's big, it's full of friendly people, and uh, give us some time where we can sit down together. I know that here at Prairie Ridge, uh, they have a youth group called The Junkyard, and uh, we were both active in it for a long time. I have uh, been gone for a few years, but uh, I know that you're still going at it strong, right? Yep. Um, what's, your, what's your experience? Like when you started working in the junkyard, I know that when I got here, uh, the, the, lead, the leader of the, the youth ministry here, Doug, remember he told me, it's your first year, none of the kids are gonna wanna be in your group. And that was not my experience. Right. It, was, it was really, uh, good. He made it a place where, you know, the the leaders were supported, the the youth felt empowered, um, and, and that's one of the reasons why it really kept me here. What is your, when you started in this, how long has it been? This is my ninth year as a sponsor, and I've done all the grade levels at this point. Like from just high school? Six, seven. Okay. No, I, I've done um, three, let's see, this is my fourth year of eighth, nine, eight, nine. I've done two years at six, seven, and I'm also doing my second year at high school this year. So okay. I'm doing both eight, nine, and high school this year. Okay. So, um, what's what's your experience like that been? I mean, how wh- what what really you know what's the nuts and bolts of it? Mm-hmm. Um, it's an awesome program. <clears throat> Excuse me. I I uh, wouldn't have stuck with it for so long if it wasn't. Um, Doug's got great vision. Um, he's great at adjusting the program year to year uh, as we grow. The growth is just insane, the number of kids that we have coming in. How many many do they have now? I think we've been counting like, is it 350 total from six through 12? I know there has been like 150, 180, I think at high school this year total. We're divided into car groups, so we we break it down into four different groups for each grade level to make it a little more manageable. And the car groups are usually around 40 kids each. When I started Junkyard nine years ago in 8-9, the whole 8-9 group was like 30 or 40 kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so now, leading back to the car group scenario where we just have these, these individual groups now, it f- makes it feel a little more like it did back then. So, you know, I might not know the kids in the other groups as well, but I know the kids in my group really well. And, and so it's a, good, it's a good system and one that, you know, came about because of the, the huge growth. So... So now you're working with, with the younger age all the way up. Are you staying with them? I mean, are they, are they traveling with you through years so you can build yeah. that kind of experience over the years with them and know their background and know their history? And Yeah, typically I don't, I don't think people do that. Um, Doug would prefer that you pick an age grade and, and stick with it. Um, and eight, nine is definitely where my heart is. That's my favorite, favorite age group. And that's where I plan to stay. 
uh, indefinitely, <laughs> if he'll let me. Um, but the, the reason I'm doing high school this year is I um, started with my son when he was in sixth grade and did six, seven for two years with him and then did two, two years of eight, nine with him. Um, and then I'm now doing high school with him. And so him and his friend group, um, yeah, I've been with them since sixth grade and a lot of them have been in our same car group. So we've just kind of moved up through the years um, and watching these guys grow up and just kind of you know, finishing out their high school journey with them. Um, and then I plan to just hang out in eight, nine after that. Be your home to settle in at? Yeah, it's just, I mean, we had a fun night last night and it just, I mean, it just brings it home. It's just my favorite age. I love hanging out with the eighth and ninth graders. They're just, it's such an awesome place in life. <laughs> so, so now you're with your son and you have a daughter too, right? Yep. She's off at college? Um, no, she's living up in Ames. She's working full time okay. and, and being adultish. Adult-ish. Adult-ish. Trying she's, to figure it out. She's getting there every day, a step Listen, closer. I think that's <laughs> a, a good... It's a process. That's a good example for me, too. I'm still yeah. adult-ish. <laughs> but, uh, so, so now, your, your life back here, you're married, married woman, yep. two kids. Yep. Two dogs, living the dream. Living the dream. <laughs> Suburbia. Yeah. You know, it's not a, it's not a bad place it's to not, live. It's not, no. So it's really not. No, I'm good. So... Going up in with these kids, what what kind of draws you to even want to work with them? I know that you know. I think we all have our own reasons why we mm -hmm. why we choose to get into youth ministries or different things like that. Um, I mean, the the growth that you see in the kids, at least for me, you know, taking a kid who maybe hasn't had a lot of modeling or been. Uh, really treated in a way that he feels valued is one of the reasons why I, I was involved in this. What, what are yours? I mean, I think everybody's yeah. so personal. Well, originally I started um, back in eight, nine, because my daughter was in ninth grade and, it, and I had pretty recently become a Christian. Um, and I honestly thought it looked like fun. I mean, she would come home telling stories about Junkyard and I was like, that sounds like a blast. I wonder if there's actually any Bible work happening, but it sounds like fun. And so I asked her, would you mind if I did it? And she's like, no, that would be great. Um, and so that's how I started in it was because it just sounded like fun. And then once I got in it, I realized, oh my gosh, like there's a need. And, and I tend to think of Ankeny kids as like, or I used to anyway, as, um, you know, they're, they're so privileged. What problems could these kids possibly have? I mean, come on, they're all driving cars to school when they're 15 on their school permits. And they've all got, you know, they're in dance and they're in gymnastics and they're in every sport that's offered. And what problems could they possibly have? These kids are like charmed. Um, and then you get to know them and you realize, oh, okay, that kind of a lifestyle comes with its own set of problems. Like that's um, a different kind of stress and a different kind of, I don't know, neglect might be a hard word to use, but I mean, it's, it's, um, it's not all sunshine and rainbows like you would think, and these kids are going through some pretty tough things. Um, so once I started to realize that, and, and really my very first year as a sponsor, there was a, a kid that was going through a really tough time in her family with her parents getting divorced, and I got involved with her, and that really kind of, I was just attached at that point because she just needed somebody to help guide her through that. And so then what... Um, I guess going back to my time as a teenager, I didn't have that. I, had a, I was completely blessed with a wonderful family who loved me unconditionally. Like there was never any question that um, I had the support of my family. 
Um, but I didn't really have any other adults in my life, and I had no faith in my life. I had no religion. I had, you know, I, I we were like air quote Christians, like, like Chris, know, Christmas and <laughs> Christmas Easter. and Easter, and really not even then because it's early. So you know, um, so um, so I didn't have that, and I um, I had a, a very um, bad influential group of friends, I guess you could say, in high school. And I always knew that I was different. Like, my friends were, you know, I had friends that were dropped out of high school. Like, my most serious boyfriend in high school before my husband was a high school dropout. He went to Lincoln and dropped out after 10th grade and actually had his own apartment <laughs> and, um, at 17. That was, um, you know, or people, my friends were often getting kicked out of their houses. They were, um, you know, drinking, doing drugs, skipping school, getting in fights, getting kicked out of their house homeless, living with other people, um, and that, those were the people I was hanging out with, and I was just having fun, like, it was just that, fun, it was like, high school was a party. It, it wasn't was, your home life, but yet right, it was a circle that you were involved yeah, in. Yeah, and, and kind of because I'm like that helper kind of person, like, oh, I want to reach out to these people and help them, but really, I was just, I was like party girl, and I was just having fun, and I always knew this wasn't me, this isn't my future, I'm going to college. I've got this family that I can't even fathom what I could do that would make my parents kick me out of the house. Like, it's not even an option. That would never happen in my reality. Um, and like I said, I knew I was going to college. I knew I was getting married and having the 2.5 kids in the white picket fence. Like, that was my reality. This was just fun time. So, it, you know, I always kind of knew I'm hanging out with these people, but this isn't real life. Um, but because I had surrounded myself with those people, and that was all I was seeing, I kind of began to forget who I was, and um, and I had you know my my values that I had set for myself. I kind of started to compromise on, and I got to a point where in my junior year of high school, senior year of high school, some point in high school, I got to a point where I um, I had my one big remaining value, my one big non-compromise value and I compromised it and I totally disappointed myself I let myself down I gave up on me and I kind of went into this spiral of like future bad decisions because I just thought that's it you're worthless what if you know you've thrown it all away what is even your point how pathetic are you um, and so I totally gave up and just yeah spiraled into a whole bunch of bad decisions and then um, fortunately met my future husband um, I actually knew him, but then we started dating shortly after that and kind of pulled me out of it, so. So you guys were high school sweethearts? Yeah. Yeah. That's a cute. I know, and we dated once, and then we broke up, and then we dated again, and it was all sunshine and rainbows after that. But, so to me, it's important to know that as these kids, because I used to think these church kids were like, good Christian kids, yeah. and I didn't think they did anything <laughs> wrong. Imagine my horror <laughs> when I realized they're normal teenagers. When you're um, excited because your daughter is oh now going God. to a youth group, right? you're like, she's hanging and I out like, with the golden kids. I like kids. pushed her to youth groups. I'm like, I want her to hang out with these good kids. And, and there's, they are good kids, don't get me wrong, but they are normal teenagers, and they do make mistakes, and they do have temptations, and, and that's normal. But it was an adjustment for me. Um, I remember another sponsor giving me a lecture and saying, you know, good Christian kids drink and good Christian kids have sex and good Christian kids get pregnant. I'm like, no, they don't. Like, la, 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 la. But anyway, I think so I get it now. But I wanted to, it was important to me then that, that, that they not only have role models to say, you know, here's, 
here's the godly way to live your life. You know, I didn't have that. Um, my morals and my values were based on me and my strength, and um, I didn't have the, um, the God aspect of it to, to build my foundation on. So I think it's important that these guys have people who are helping them to understand how that foundation plays a part in their life and how to build that and how to stay strong in it, but then also to have someone there to help pick them up when they fall down and to understand that they're not garbage just because they've made a mistake and that nobody's giving up on them. And that by seeing me and the other youth group leaders um, have that attitude towards them, that, that they, that'll also translate then to their understanding of God and understanding of Jesus and that you've got this, this savior who loves you unconditionally and who would give anything for you regardless of the mistakes that you're making. And he's always gonna be there. He's never gonna give up. So that's why it's important to me to keep up with it and why I love the 8-9 group so much because they're at that age. Um, I think when I was younger, it was more like 10th, 11th grade, but now it's more like 8th and 9th grade because you know kids mature faster, I guess, in this big wide world of ours. That's what the scientists say. That's what the scientists say. That's what the scientists say. Well, with the interweb and all. So I think at 8-9 is when they're starting to kind of develop their own identity and pulling away from what their parents believe and trying to figure out what do I really believe and their world's opening up a little bit more to some of these temptations and some of these decisions where they're getting more independence to make these decisions. And so I think it's a really important age to be, to have good godly adults available to them for guidance and support. You know, and I, in, in listening to the story you just shared, um, it doesn't sound like our past were all that different growing up. I know. I wonder you know. If, if if you were a little bit older, I feel like we would have been friends. Yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe you never know. I was pretty particular. Oh, sorry. No. Uh, but yeah, you know, it's you know that kind of that same circle. You know, that's that's what my life was too. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, and and uh, drugs and alcohol and things like that just prevalent and around and 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 available for anybody who was there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then coming back into, you know, the youth ministry side of things, I've never worked with, I worked with the little, little ones. I think we, me and my wife did uh, maybe second and third grade or something <laughs> like that. And I was Bless like, your heart. not for me. Ooh, and, can't uh, do that. <laughs> and I went straight to high school after that. Yeah. And, and the middle school freshman, that era, I just, they're so rambunctious. Yeah. I, have, I, I have a hard time with it. And so I'm getting to them a little late in high school. I was getting to them a little late. But I think one of the things that, that I found that really helped me connect and work with the youth was that I didn't always sugarcoat the things for them. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, you know, being in a group that is so large, it was nice because you can have your pick of what style of leader you want. D- you know, do you want somebody who's a little rougher around the edges? Do you want somebody who, you know, is already a, an established parent? You know, you, mm-hmm. the kids kind of pick. And I know that one of the things that I always did was I tried to live honestly with these kids. You know, I didn't, I mean, there obviously there are things that as adults we deal with that <laughs> maybe kids shouldn't be privy to at, at the age they're at. But, right. you know, I really did I let them know what my mistakes were. They didn't need to know all the details. But hey, you know what? I've been there and I always tell the kids, there's nothing that you can do that's gonna surprise me. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, it's, I've been there, done that and- Or at you least know, heard about it. And at least heard about <laughs> it, you know, you know, but I, actually some of the stuff that the kids 
that is going on now and especially at the younger age with um, cutting and suicide mm -hmm. and um, you know the depression and the you know anxiety those were things that maybe weren't quite as prevalent that I remember at least mm -hmm. growing up um, so I mean they do have a, a new set of problems and things that they're dealing with but you know the I think the kids really valued the my ability to be able to just shoot it to him straight and it wasn't always the church answer you know right. I mean sometimes the kids just needed an adult to give them the honest feedback and and I think that it really grew my relationship with a lot of these a lot of these kids because of it and you know and I hope brought some you know a little farther in their faith and it, mm -hmm. you know at least let them know that hey you're not alone you know yeah so it sounds so cliche but Doug always says you know they don't care what you know until they know that you care and I think that's a big part of it with that teenage age group is if you come right at them with your Bible open and start preaching at them they're I mean they're gonna shut down and so you've got to build that personal relationship first and let them into your life and I know you've done this you've had kids at your house you have kids come into your life and so they see you being adult-ish and they see you in a in a husband role and a parent role in addition to a fun goofy really goofy youth leader role and so they're you know they're like whoa this you know this guy is interesting what makes him tick and, and then that way then you're leading him to Jesus because you're your life is following Jesus, and I'm, so I'm multifaceted. You're multifaceted. <laughs> yes, you are. But uh, yeah, you're a diamond know, in the rough. So. And, it, and it's funny because I know that I've been with with youth before, and, and I've had my my little ones running around, and I turn around, and and it's amazing the little radar that you get now. I can look the other direction and know my kids are getting into something, <laughs> and turn around and holler at them, and they look at me and they go, "Is that your dad voice?" <laughs> I'm like, I guess it is. <laughs> So, um, I know one of the other things that I really thought was a good time, at least for me, to dig down deep with the youth, and I'd be interested in what your experiences have been, were um, on mission-type work. Um, you know, we, we took uh, some of the bigger ones, you know, we've, in, in uh, you know, at least the, the denomination here, they have Rocky Mountain High. I've been, I've been to Rocky Mountain with the kids and that was an amazing experience and just seeing some of the growth so quickly. And then um, as a service opportunity, you know, me and my wife used to travel to Honduras um, fairly regularly. And uh, this, the last time that we went, I brought just youth. Mm -hmm. And so it was, uh, it was quite an experience, but neat to see the kids outside of their comfort zone in a serving capacity, um, you know, just, living living and doing what they're supposed to yeah. do you know and so every kid i talked to on that trip said it was the hardest work they've ever done in their lives and it was like the best i mean it's 100 degrees and you get to dig holes and all you're day digging in cement like dirt and <laughs> yeah you know and it, yeah so but yeah, yeah it was that's cool for them like you said get outside of their comfort zone and get into a different culture and get to experience world outside of yeah. Ankeny. You know, and none of them ever told me no. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. I don't know how far that would have flown anyway, but you that's know. That's that junkyard thing. It's amazing. The, the, and that's one of my favorite things with our youth is that we have so instilled that servant attitude in them. And anywhere we go serve, whether it's on a mission trip or it's, you know, Des Moines mission trip or a Honduras mission trip, or even just hanging out on a trip to Target, like <laughs> these kids serve 
out of habit, like they don't even think. If they see somebody bending down to pick something up, they're going to run over there and grab it first. And everywhere we go serve, the, the leadership of, of where we're working always, uh, almost without fail, makes the comment on the work ethic of our kids and the attitudes and how nothing is off limits and no job is too big or too small. And yeah. I love that. Love it. Yeah. And so with the, you know, that going back to that idea of the service opportunities, mm-hmm. have you, I mean, I know that you've gone out in times and served with the kids before. Are there any yep. that are real memorable for you where you just think, Hey, I, you know, I can't believe I did this with them, but it turned out amazing. <laughs> wow. Well, we do homeless outreach, <clears throat> and we've had some adventures on that. Um, and that started, golly, we've been doing that for six years, maybe, or seven, um, with Joppa Outreach out of Des Moines. And we started with them when they were almost just getting started, um, very small operation. And another sponsor and I, uh, Jeff Kennel, who's since moved on as well, but he was an amazing, amazing sponsor, and he and I would, um, take groups of kids down to Des Moines and we'd each take a different route and take a, a car full of kids and go out and visit homeless people and, and pass out food and just check up on them and see how they're doing and um, and then when Jeff stopped being a sponsor he uh, stopped doing that as well and so I've continued it with just basically however many people I can fit in my vehicle um, some months it's me by myself because everybody's busy and other months I've got so many people going that we have to take two vehicles or the big red van or whatever but we've, we've definitely had some adventures, and it's, it's super cool, again, to see um, the kids get out of their comfort zone and get exposed to a different part of our society and a different part of our culture. And I know people's views on homelessness vary quite a bit um, in the church as well. And so I like that the kids are able to come up with their own views and to have their own experience and be able to talk back maybe when they hear somebody kind of you know promoting their own view on homelessness and the solutions and now we've got you know 15 year olds who can firsthand experience yeah who can say you know what listen I I know these people here's the stories I've told so that's really cool and I have um, usually I'll have kind of a core group of people who try to go every time Um, and then occasionally we'll get new people that that join us and so it's always fun to take the new people out but it's also pretty great to go with the kids that that do it all the time because they know what to do and they know the people and we just had, I'm trying to think of a couple of exciting experiences. We did have a few years ago um, a group uh, that we, we had a kid who was with us for the first time, and uh, we had come to an apartment, uh, the guy that used to be homeless and is now in an apartment, and he um, lives on the second floor and the building's locked, so you have to like basically climb up on the stair rail and knock on his window, and then he'll come and let you in. So we climbed up on the stair rail, we knocked on his window, and there was no, no response. And he's pretty much a shut-in, so he's kind of always there. But for some reason, I mean, it was a hot day. We were really behind already. I was in a hurry, and I was just like, okay, he's not here, let's go. And uh, Libby Vanderpoel was with us, and she's like, knock one more time. And I'm like, oh. so I'm knocking again. And she's like, I think I heard something. And I'm like, okay. And so we're yelling for him, and she's like, I know I heard him in there. I heard a voice. And so we waited, and some people went into the apartment, and so we were able to get in the building, and we went up to his apartment, and his door was unlocked because he usually left it unlocked on Sundays because he knew we were coming. And long story short, we find him sitting in a chair, half clothed. He had been in the shower and had basically, I guess, passed out, got himself to the chair, and he had been sitting in that chair for three days. 
um, with wow. no ability to move, no food, no water, sitting in that chair. So we called 911 and, um, and they came and, and got him out. And what had happened is he'd had uh, some toes amputated because of frostbite and he'd gotten gangrene. Also, he was diabetic. Um, so lost some toes. He'd gotten some gangrene, wasn't taking care of it. And the infection had gotten into his blood and caused sepsis. And he basically, his, his organs were shutting down. They took him to the hospital, amputated the leg that day. They said he wouldn't have made it to midnight um, that night. He would have been out. So. He's, and now he's still going. He's in an apartment in a uh, handicap accessible because he's in a wheelchair. And, um, but so that was, um, again, like, I mean, we've never had to call 911 before doing, doing JAPA. But um, again, for the kids that were with us to see that and to go through that experience and to say, you know, we basically saved this guy's life. I mean, yeah. that's, you know, if we hadn't been there, if, if Libby hadn't encouraged me to, keep knocking and to be persistent to find a way in that building, he wouldn't have been with us. And that was a big lesson for me to slow down. You know, it's not about you. It's not about your schedule. You knew the guy should have been there. You shouldn't have given up, you know. So that was a big lesson. And then another one to share that just happened this last weekend um, because it was pretty awesome. Again, another guy who's now in an apartment um, who has health issues. His back is really bad and it's to the point now where it's pinching nerves and causing him to basically be paralyzed temporarily just spontaneously so he can be walking and just drop. And so he's in an apartment. He hates it. Hates it. What does he want to do? The woods are his happy place and he he has lived um, for quite a while. He'll build himself a shack. He uh, you know, takes good care of the woods around him. He clears brush. He's not um, aggressive. He's not a raging alcoholic. He is, I mean, he's literally, he, he said he was born too late. He, he really should be a pioneer. I mean, that's just, the, the, he's meant to live off the land and here he is in, in inner city Des Moines. But um, we had, uh, anytime I take kids out to visit him, he has this amazing Memory. So, like, usually we visit him in the woods. This is the first we found out where his apartment was. So, usually we go out to the woods, and he um, will latch on to a kid. So, there's been a couple of them that he remembers. He knows their names. He knows details about their lives. He uh, looks forward to them coming. If they're not with me, he asks about them. Um, I've had uh, one of the youth that used to go out with us was on a mission in Costa Rica, and she's, like, sending him stuff from Costa Rica. She painted him a picture. I mean, just, and he's very, um, he has a strong faith, and so he'll bring them back to his, his tent or his house or whatever he's in at the time, and he'll uh, break out his, his books, and he'll talk about what he's been studying, and he'll show them this, like, here's this new Bible that I got, and, I mean, he's just, like, he's just a great guy. And, and so um, we show up unexpectedly at his apartment on Sunday, and um, he's expecting the other team that usually comes and visits him because there's a team that does apartment routes and one yeah. that does camp routes, and we're on our camp route, so we're not supposed to be there. So we knock on the door, and he's like, yeah, and he looks up and sees who it is and just jumps up off the floor and comes running over, and just and he's hugging everybody in our group. And um, one of the girls that was with us is, is one that he always asks about. And again, like after the first time he met her, he's asked about her every time, and I don't know why she's stuck with him, but... So she was there, and so he was like, and he's just crying, and he can't, and he says, you guys, you have no idea what this means to me to see you here. He said, I, I miss being in the woods, and I miss seeing you guys every month when you come out, and I know I have to be here, but 
it's, he says, you have no idea what this means to, to have you guys come see me. And I mean, he just kept breaking down and then he would gather his composure and he'd talk to us again. And um, So also really cool experience. And another good side for the kids to see that they really are making a difference in this person's life. And, um, and he does miss them when they're not there and, and they're important to him. And, and then to also see that other facet of homelessness where um, th this guy wants to be in the woods and he's not hurting anybody in the woods. He's doing his own thing. He's minding his own business. He's taking care of the woods around him. He's, yeah. you know. You know, so. and I've gone to a handful of the camps, you mm -hmm. know, before and, and it's been interesting to me. I've gone with Joppa before. I've taken groups without anybody mm -hmm. down there before when schedules got confused and I said you know what we're gonna go anyway mm -hmm. and you know we go do that and I've been down there by myself a couple times mm -hmm. and it's it's always been interesting to me to see you know I think when we look at it from the outside you know we see dirty mentally ill you know people who have non-desirable right right and it's not always the case. I mean, you know, there is mental illness and yep. there is alcoholism mm -hmm. and there is these other things that, that bring people to homelessness. But I have always been um, pretty amazed when you start looking at the, especially the camps where they set up, you know, multiple people in the yeah. area. There's always somebody who kind of runs that camp. Yeah. You know, there, there's the, the guy who runs it. And if somebody else comes in, they have to, conform to the rules of that camp you know they can't don't make it dirty mm -hmm. you know don't leave your stuff laying around don't make a mess don't be too loud you know mm -hmm. and it's not always what it appears on the outside when you see the guy panhandling down on the corner um and you know, you know the idea of being able to go to an apartment and and make somebody's day i know that some of the uh, some of the times where we've gone with you know smaller groups it's a little bit easier to sit down and have the conversations and, and have a little more intimate time mm -hmm. with the folks. Um, but the, you bring them a warm meal, you know, that changes their whole day. Mm -hmm. You know, where me, I, I take a warm meal for granted. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm going to go home and throw it in the microwave and I have it in three minutes. Yeah. You know, where... That's and just the knowledge that somebody cares that you woke up this morning. Yeah. And I mean, imagine life with no one caring whether you lived or died. I mean, that's not, that's not right. That's not, there's no dignity in that. And yeah. so just to let, you know, we have one guy that we see and every month I say, all right, I'll see you next month. And he's like, if I'm still alive. And I'll say, that's right. We may both not make it to next month, but if we both make it to next month, I'll see you next month. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's, you know, but yeah, and that's just it, you know, and the, and the, even, even conversations like that, just to be able to be comfortable enough to be able to have that banter back and mm -hmm. forth. I mean, you know, it, it says something about that relationship that you that you build with them. Mm -hmm. um, and to me, that's what, I mean, the warm meal is fantastic. Nobody's going hungry in Des Moines. Yeah. You can get food variety of places yeah. in Des Moines. Um, and some people we go see will say, you know, I don't need any food. I have enough food. It's, it's going rotten. I don't need food. They need relationship. They need connection. They need somebody to listen. They need someone to care about them. And that, to me, is more important than, yeah. you know, here's some food, which also important but it's just that knowing that somebody cares once your necessities are taken care of that relationship is the next most yeah. important thing you know and I think that um, I used to you know in doing what in the business that I'm in the construction 
we used to do a lot of work with McDonald's. And one of the things that we had as a perk was that we got to eat McDonald's every day for free. <laughs> and love McDonald's, they, they <laughs> bought a car for me, right? They, they, paid, my, they paid my mortgage. Um, but uh, I can't eat the food every day. Right. You know, it's a, Is that really a perk? It's a McDonald's every but day. But you know what? It's it a perk was. you're going to pay for it, at the end. For me, it was because for, for quite a while, you know, we had a, a few stores downtown. And I would go and I would get my free meal. And then I would just mm-hmm. drive and find, you know, somebody on the side of the road panhandling. Hey, yeah. do you want some hamburgers? And, you know, and it was amazing. It, you know, just it didn't cost me anything. Mm-hmm. It fulfilled a need. You know, the guy's got a sign that says I'm hungry. Mm-hmm. I'll bring you I'll bring You're you hungry, something I got a burger. Yeah. It's a perfect relationship. You know, and I think that one of the, one of the things that I've noticed in going to some of these places um, and talking with other people who desire to get involved in different outreaches um, is that sometimes they make it sound really complicated, yeah. you know? And, you know, it, hey, you know, I remember before we had kids, um, we, we had the opportunity to serve far more than, than what mm-hmm. we do now. And we would spend every Christmas and Thanksgiving at the shelter and we would serve there. And, you know, we would go to the homeless camps and, and you know, we would work with the, uh, the women's shelter over um, on their side of town. And we would, uh, you know, just be as involved in some of that stuff as we could because we had the, we had the time, we had the yeah. resources, we had, you know, everything, everything was okay. And then we would talk to people and they would always say, you know, when, how do you do this? You know, how do you get involved? Well, would, you know, I don't know how to do this. I don't have a group of people going with me. And it always kind of frustrated me a little bit because it doesn't take a group of people. It doesn't take anything. Most of the time, you can just show up somewhere mm-hmm. and say, I want to help. You know, you could give them a phone call ahead of time. They'd probably appreciate that a little bit more. But, um, you know, just just do it. If you have yeah. a desire and a heart to, to be involved in those things, it's, it's so important just to get involved. It doesn't take a, you know, a church to set up a, mm-hmm. a thing or a community group to to do a, you know, a soup kitchen or, you know, something like that. It's amazing what one person can do and the impact that you can have, you know, that, the idea that the smaller the group, sometimes the more intimate it is. It's great for them. It's even better for you, Mm -hmm. you know, because you get to really live into what these people are experiencing. I remember, man, there was a, there was a place that served dinner and I, I can't remember what the name of it is, um, but it was in downtown Des Moines, down by the YMCA. And uh, there were these two men, we used to go in there pretty regularly and, and serve dinner. And finally we got enough people, you know, we, we, I think it started with me and my wife and another couple. And we would bring all the food down there and we'd serve it. And we were pretty busy while we were there. And I don't have a desire to serve food. I wanna go out there and talk with them. I wanna hear their stories. I mean, that's the stuff that really fascinates me. And finally, we got enough people that I could just start going and, and interacting with the people who were there. And you know what? That's not everybody. Some people just want to serve the food. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. And that gives people like me the opportunity to be able to go out there and talk and, and mingle a little bit. And there were these two, two men who were actually in college. One of them was going to med school and, at Des Moines University. Mm-hmm. And the other one was starting a school for architecture. They're both homeless, mm-hmm. living in a shelter. 
But those guys would be sitting there eating their dinner with their heads stuck in their books together. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. they, they both knew each other, but I mean, it's kind of one of those things where there's not a lot of other people in that community who probably really engaged in it. And so they found each other and, and they took care of each other. Um, but I wish I knew where they were now. I wish I, you know, had, had more information. But I remember just thinking, wow, you know, this guy doesn't have anything, but he's still going to college to yeah. be a doctor, you know? How how is how is that possible? You know, and the guy who was going to school for the architecture, um, he was from Missouri, and he was a Mennonite, still practicing Mennonite, and it was just interesting to me to see all of these walks of life. You know, because you have these guys coming through, and then I remember, I thought it was people being rude at first. Um, they would walk through the line, and they got their headphones on and music going and you try to talk to them and they don't even acknowledge you and I was like you know I'm here you know it, it was me being selfish sure I'm here to help you and to say hello Show and you gratitude. can't even acknowledge the fact that I'm here mm -hmm. and then later I find out that a lot of the times those are people with schizophrenia and they use the the background noise and the music to help them not have episodes and right. I was like wow that mm -hmm. just humbled me a little bit listen to all the music you want yeah <laughs> you know it makes you have to be a lot less judgmental when you yeah. hear people's stories and how they got to where they are and I think like you said earlier we we kind of assume with homelessness that you know well it's, you've made bad decisions you've got alcoholism you've got whatever but I mean a lot of times it's the chicken and the egg I mean which came first the homelessness or the alcoholism I mean when you're sitting all day in the woods and you have nothing to do and you know but it's it's um, yeah, when you hear where people came from, and we had a guy on our route that um, he's homeless because he has heart condition. He has he's had multiple heart attacks, and he can't work. He can hardly do anything because uh, his heart's so bad. And so his option is to live in the woods. And it's like to me, as a society, like what have we done? I mean, like why aren't we taking care of this guy? Why is his option to live in the woods? Like this isn't it's not anything that he's done that's led him there it's it, this could be you this could be me this is a man without a support system and I don't know what it's like to live without a support system but by knowing people like that I, I can kind of get a clue and it's terrifying when, when you're all that you have um, you know so where's the church community where's the family community where's I mean who, who's catching these people and why is this their only alternative and there's another guy out there that that is extremely schizophrenic he's got multiple mental health diagnoses um, but the biggest one is schizophrenia, and um, again, he's he's young, young kid. And where's his help? What? Who's looking out for this kid? Yeah. And you know, Joppa does what they can, and they do a lot. But he needs people. Where are his people? Yeah, you know, and and especially, we live in Iowa. Right. It's not sunny in seventy. Right. All that often. Right. You know, you go out there in the dead of winter, and it's negative thirty degrees, mm -hmm. and a foot of snow these guys are still living out there yeah. and I, I remember I remember going out one time and this was with Joppa and they were handing out candles and that's what they were using they told me that's what they used to heat Oof. inside the tents at yeah. times you know and I couldn't imagine that outside your tent it's yeah you know deathly cold and you're huddled around a candle yeah. I mean and they're resourceful these I mean these guys are resourceful it, they'll have on every article of clothing they own and blankets and one of the cool things about watching Joppa grow over the years too is the, that their resources and their um, 
you know, they've gotten more grant funding, they've gotten more donors, and so they're really good now about making sure, you know, with the propane tanks, with the buddy heaters, with tents and sleeping bags, that they have good equipment to get them through the winter. And a lot of, you know, some, some homeless outreach groups, their focus is get people into shelters, get them off the streets, get them out of the woods, get them into a shelter. And that's their number one focus. And if you don't want to get out of the woods or off the street, then they're moving on. Um, whereas Joppa's focus has always been, if you want off, we will help you. We will help you get an apartment. We'll help you get bus fare back home, wherever home is, if that's the problem. You just need, you know, you're just stuck here. Um, you know, whatever help you want, we will give you. If you want to stay in the woods, we're going to um, keep you help as safe you, as possible. Right, help you stay safe. And so, as their funding has increased, it's been great to see how they can go in and remove some of that unsafe. Um, those unsafe heating practices and you know make sure that that people are staying as safe as possible and that they're getting checked up on and well, I think I read a little bit about Joppa as well um, and they were trying to start a small house community yeah, or something and tiny I, homes. I know that the city isn't uh, the fondest you know at least around here I don't think the city's the fondest about allowing yeah. the tiny houses but I haven't been super involved and so I don't want to speak out of turn for them about what's going on but it seems like they're having a hard time finding land for it, it and you know people not wanting it in their neighborhoods and they've done studies in other states of similar projects and and have tried to bring back you know information about how it's actually improved the areas that they've been in and and you know and no one wants to be helpless yeah. No one wants to be dependent on other people. And when you give someone a community like that, and it's a, you know, no alcohol, no violence, you know, it's, it's, there's a manager that lives on site that oversees the community. There's communal kitchen area, communal bathroom area, um, communal garden. I mean, you give people their you own place. And empower them Stuff to do, right. Yeah. Now you've got a job. You know, go work in the garden or let's make some stuff. And like some of these communities have stores. They're making things and they're selling in the stores. And you know, growing vegetables and taking them to the farmer's market. Just give someone a purpose. If you have an addiction, if you have mental illness, you can still have a purpose. Like, yeah. you still have a life. There's, there's still life to be lived out there. So it's all, to me, it's all about dignity. It's all about hope and, you know, just being able to be a little bit independent. And that's what a lot of these people don't have right now. So I hope it takes off. And they have a model house now that they're touring around to churches and letting people view and trying to spread the word about what their plans are and, really? and to kind of cut through some of the maybe misinformation about what it's going to be. And Instead of just slapping some shanty houses Right. It's not going to be just a huge homeless camp in your neighborhood. This yeah. is going to be a community, a housing community of, yeah. of yeah, people so. living and working. And That's neat. Yeah. So I hope, so, it, hope it works. So back to the the youth thing yeah a little bit i can kind of kind of went off on a little tangent <laughs> there but um it's all related so it is for sure um so in in taking the youth to you know like the like the gentleman who had the infection going yeah. through him and doing that um you know i'm sure there's been other other things and other things that have come up that have mm -hmm. impacted these kids mm -hmm. how how do they deal with that i know that sometimes i've taken them and they've been some of them have been really good, and some of the kids have been really standoffish. Yeah. Um, what, what's your experience been, and yeah. how, how have they grown in contributing to some stuff like um, that? It's, it's definitely, I mean, everybody has their own comfort, comfort level um, with, you know, different walks of life and different situations. And I think at first, everybody's a little, 
it's it's pretty rare to have a youth that will go out and like their first time they're like introducing themselves to people and having conversations and there are some that do that um, they're just those usually the ones with the biggest hearts that just care so much about everyone and want to know so much about everyone. Um, some, we've had, I've had a lot of kids that are doing silver cord hours that are just like, yeah, I'll do a Sunday afternoon for and silver cord. And that's uh, community service for high school? Yeah, so in high school they can do, they get, uh, yeah, community service hours. And, and so you sign off as the leader, here's how many hours they did today, and then they'll, they can go off and do Habitat for Humanity, or even like at, at youth group are high school interns that work with the younger kids, or if you teach Sunday school, like all that can go towards your silver cord. Okay. And then when you graduate, you just get a silver cord to wear over your robe, and people say, ooh, what'd you do? And you can say, hey, I did community service. <laughs> so it's to encourage kids to volunteer, which is fantastic yeah. um, that kids are encouraged to volunteer um, because outside of, I mean, the kids I know, they're all volunteering. I mean, they're, you know, <laughs> again, that's kind of that junkyard thing of we, we're, we're creating these little servant people, which is great. Um, but kids that aren't plugged in here or to another youth group like that don't always get those opportunities. So I think it's a great program that they've done. But but yeah, so you'll get kids that don't really know what to expect or are just kind of out there for their silver cord hours. And um, it's usually we'll, you know, we'll try to follow up on the way home and say, so what'd you think? You know, was it what you expected? Was, you know, and, and typically the response is usually, you know, I had no idea. I had this idea of what homeless people were like and no, I, I had no idea that they had stories, they've had lives, they've had families and jobs and success. And we were talking to a guy last weekend who was talking about his honeymoon in at some resort, uh, Sandals Resort in Mexico. It's like, you don't think about a homeless guy being at a Sandals Resort in Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, he really did have a life before this. He really did have a job and, and all these life experiences that you just look at him and you think, well, you've obviously been this way your entire life and you don't realize. And I used to work in, I used to work for a nursing home chain, and it's the same thing. You see an 80-year-old person in a wheelchair at a nursing home, it doesn't occur to you that they've ever had a life before this, like that they have anything to share. But man, you start talking to them and they've got all kinds of life experience to share. And it's the same with, so when we take kids out to homeless camps, like talk to them. They're, they're typically extremely open about how they got there and what their reality is. And they're usually very willing to talk to young people about here's how I got here, here's what you're going to do differently. Yeah. Um, a lot of stay in school. Stay in school, stay away from alcohol, stay away from drugs, you know, that kind of advice that um, they're usually more than willing the, to give to that you. That they hear from everybody. Absolutely. <laughs> but you know what, when the alcoholic homeless guy tells you right. that, you might take it a little bit more to heart. Right, yeah. right, yeah, um, yeah. So. Did I answer your question, what was the question? Uh, about the. Uh, <laughs> You know what the kids are getting out of there. Oh, yeah, how yeah, how, sure. how um how are they interacting? Yeah, and there are some that just kind of come and go. They'll come once or twice, and and then and it's not their thing, and that's fine because it's not everyone's thing. And I'm all about find your thing. Um, and then there are the few that um, stick with it, you know, through high school, and then sometimes even beyond high school. That I mean, this is their thing, and and they really want to stick with it. But usually, I'll have the as kind of a, a core group of kids for a few years, a couple years, and then it'll switch up. You know, they'll either get to high school and get busy and get into other stuff, or they'll graduate and move on and do other stuff, and then, you know, you'll, another group will come up, and so it's kind of fun. It, it, I, I try not to get into that, like, oh, these guys don't come anymore, and I wish they would still come, and why aren't they invested in the ministry? And, and then I realize it's, it, that's fine. It's not their thing. They're investing in other ministries. They've moved on, and that's okay. And yeah. And we, I was kind of talking with the group of youth that was out with me this last weekend about 
where Joppa has gotten to the point where they've got a lot of volunteers, which is great because when we first started, they were scrounging for volunteers, and now they've partnered up with some big churches. They've got a lot of help, and so we were kind of discussing: is it time for us to do something different? Do we do we still want to do these routes? Because there were so many people there last week, and they sent some people home because they wow. didn't need them all. You can't take ten people into a homeless camp. Yeah, You're exactly. going to freak people Overwhelm out. Overwhelm everybody. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and it's just logistically, it's just hard to juggle that many people. So. Um, so we were kind of discussing, like, what else can we do with Joppa? We still want to be involved with Joppa. What else? What opportunities are we? And so we're going to investigate that. And again, it's cool to see the kids leading that. The, the kids are, you know, well, what else can we do? And what are our other options? And um, so it's getting them thinking on their own instead of, I'm going to go do this with Kristen because this is what Kristen does. Like, well, what do you guys want to do? You know, yeah. we don't. I, I'm just the driver. I'm going to do whatever you guys want to do. Um, and that's really how it started with Joppa. My daughter went to a thing, the very first thing that Doug did with Joppa as a youth group, and she came home and was just like on fire about this issue. And I'm like, okay, I need to stoke this. Like if she's on fire about this cause, I want to give her a way to get involved. And if no one else is gonna do it, then I'm gonna do it. Yeah. Um, and so that's really how it got started. And, and you know, whatever direction the kids wanna go, I'll, I'll be the one to help get them there if that's what it takes. So now I know one of the things I think earlier you talked about not coming to your faith until you were a little later in life. Yeah. It, it same, same goes for me. Uh-huh. You know, a little bit later in life is, is when it happened. But I feel fortunate, you know, kind of in, back to some of the conversation we had before. I feel fortunate that I know what... I can, re- I can relate to people of other walks of life because mm-hmm. I've been there. Mm-hmm. And so I feel not totally uncomfortable hanging out with the homeless guy you know I feel um, you know I can go in these different situations and feel okay Um, but the other part of it is when you you know back to the idea of you know these people had honeymoons jobs different (laughs) things like that Um, sometimes one of the concerns that I that I have sometimes is I know how easy it is to just fall off the rail you know what I mean you know I think that sometimes if you've never experienced how bad some things in life can be, you don't know how bad some things mm-hmm. in life can be. And, you know, and so that's, that's always a concern of mine because, you, you know, you're one mistake away from ruining your life sometimes. I mean, it's, it's horrible to think about. It like, that has got to be a pretty major mistake, and hopefully, you know, we, we know better in our older age right. now. But, you know, just the, to be able to acknowledge the fact that, you know what, I could mess up bad enough that that could be me, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things, at least when I'm down doing those, it, it goes through my mind at times, yeah. you know? This could be my life. This, you know, if, if one thing would have gone differently, mm-hmm. if I would have lost my job at an inopportune time, if, you know, who knows, who knows which path would have, would have not gone the way that it did, I, I could be in many other people's shoes right. that aren't as fortunate as I. Right. So, um, you know, and, and back with the kids, being able to talk with them and, and just kind of, you know, let them know that all those paths lead you to somewhere. Just because when you're young and you make these mistakes, those mistakes travel with you. We've been involved in a, a few other programs, uh, you know, that, that the churches have offered. Um, and I think one of the hardest things that I've seen for people to get through is their past mistakes, their past history, feeling unloved, feeling those things. And, you know, for, for kids to get involved in that, that early age, 
I mean, to realize that, hey, this guy made a mistake. God still loves him. I still love him. We still care for him. There, those kids have that in their mind at such an early age that they're not going to have some of those same stumbling blocks that yeah. that maybe I do, you know. So yeah, I and and I try to to remember and to impart on them that. So you know, when we were out this last weekend, we heard repeatedly, "Stay in school, stay in school, stay in school," and I'm with this group of 4.0 students who, you know, it's not going to be a problem. <laughs> they're going to be fine in school. But even that, it's, um, so, so now acknowledge your blessings. Acknowledge the fact that, that you are um, a good student in a good school district with opportunities and resources, and don't waste that. Like, there's people that don't have that. There's extremely smart students in schools that don't have opportunities and don't have resources, and they're not gonna have the, the chances that you do. So don't blow it. Like, don't take it for granted and don't waste it and, and use that to help other people. Um, and the same thing, you know, with me. Like, I'm, I lay in my bed at night on those winter nights hearing the wind blowing and the house shaking and I'm warm and I'm toasty and my belly's full. And it's like, I'm blessed. That's not because of my spectacular skills. That's all because I was born into a supportive family in a upper middle class neighborhood with great schools. And not everyone has that. And so, you know, you've got people living on the other side of the world that just because of where and when they were born are not going to have the same opportunities as you do. And you were put here for a reason. You're not put here so that you can be comfortable and wealthy and have your whole world revolve around you. That's not why you've been given what you've been given. That's not why you've been blessed how you've been blessed. It's to go out and reach out to those people and help bring them in. And so hopefully even the kids who aren't having those struggles necessarily and we've had kids go out on Joppa with us that have been at risk of dropping out of school and have been at risk on drugs and they need to hear that message of hey listen stop now take a turn because this is where you're heading and you don't want to be here it's not an easy life it's not a glamorous life you don't want to be here Um, but mostly we don't mostly we have the kids who are in stable families and stable schools and are doing well and so to me the message there is you know don't judge other people don't assume you know what their story is and use what you have to help them and to just give them hope. You know, and I think even, even to take it to a less extent, you know, I mean, just the people that you pass in the mall, in the grocery store, Mm -hmm. you know, that's, it's sometimes hard for me. You know, I, I look at, you get in a hurry, you get moving, you get this, somebody's in your way, you want to get where you got to go, and, you know. Yeah. You never know what that person who barged in front of you, the person who, you know, did whatever it was that you didn't like, you never know what they're going through. You don't know yeah. what's going through their mind at the same time that you're irritated by them. And to be able to just have that, maintain that reality that, it's not about you, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? I mean, as much as your ego gets hurt or, you know, you get annoyed or pushed aside or these things, it's generally not even about you. Yeah, but yeah. and in our society, how, you know, we are in a hurry and we are very focused on ourselves and we kind of have that tunnel vision on, here's what I'm doing today and I'm not gonna distract from that. And that's what this, this guy that we visited last weekend that's, that's newly in the apartment and hating it, um, and others that I have heard that they have gotten into apartments, their one 
the, one of the biggest hangups is that loss of community. And they're like, you know, I'm in the woods, I'm homeless, that's a community. We look out for each other, we help each other. Um, you know, if I, I, we have a guy that's in an apartment that had a stroke when he was in the homeless camp and another guy on his way to his camp passed by and saw him and sat with him all night to make sure he was okay and then took him to the ER in the morning. Um, he's like, if that happened in my apartment, I'd, I'd die. Nobody here, you know, I walk down the hall of the apartment, nobody makes eye contact, nobody says hello, good morning, um, you know, nothing. There's no interaction. Nobody here cares about each other. They play loud music, they have parties, you say, hey, could you please keep it down? They attack, they yell at you, they, I mean, he says it's, it's, that's the hardest part of being in society, is that there's no community, there's no love, people don't care about each other. Whereas in these homeless communities, they've got, it might be dysfunctional family, but it's family, and they look out for each other, and Sit they don't get that. Sit around the fire with each other, and yeah. sit and talk, and Yeah, and spend share real time. life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's, it, it, that's a great way to put it, is to share real life, because I think that's something that, that we lack, you know, mm-hmm. is, is people sharing the real personal stories and, and just being real with each other. And I mean, and that's one of the reasons why I think, you know, that the podcast is so important too, is because, you know, it's not all the time that we get to hear the good, the bad, and the ugly that that we all experience. We're probably going to try to wrap this thing up here in just a minute. But um, before we do, I would love to hear if there's somebody out there who you know, just the stuff that we talked about. Somebody out there who wants to get involved in youth ministry. Somebody out there who wants to get involved with, with you know, serving out in the mm-hmm. community. Is there any sort of advice, anything that you could give them about how just to, to get out there and take advantage of it and what they might get out of that? I mean, just how it will affect them. Mm-hmm. There's, there's no lack of places to serve. I mean, I'll have, or, or donate. I, I am like, infamous people anytime somebody cleans out their house they call me and they're like I have all this stuff can you take it somewhere and I'm like I can find a place for anything you have if it's food if it's clothes if it's furniture like whatever you have to give I'll find somebody who needs it there's no lack of places if you look Um, and a lot of people just don't I think again because I'm involved in this church and because I'm involved in this youth group and especially the youth group we're very serving focused um, I've been exposed to a lot of areas around Des Moines that, that do stuff. Um, and people in other walks of life, when you are you know, working, going home, and your, your world is the center of your universe, you, you're not exposed to all of those different opportunities. And um, so I just have, I have people ask me all the time, or people will say, you know, well, I want to do something. I just don't know where to start. And it's like, oh, how can you not know where? I've got so many places I want to serve right now that I can't because I don't have the time. Or we'll have people that retire from work and they're like terrified of retiring because they don't know what they're going to do with all their time. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I can think of 12 other places I want to be besides here right now. Like, yeah. I have to be here to pay the bills so I can volunteer other places. But there's so many places out there. And so um, there is a website and I can't remember it right now. Ugh. But it's a it's a designed around central Iowa serving opportunities and um, you can enter in what you're, you know, do you want to work with youth? Do you want to work with elderly do you want to be a mentor in schools do you want and it'll you know lead you to all kinds of places but to me it's just 
anytime you see an opportunity, United Way does a lot of things with like corporations where you know you might work at principal and never have any opportunity with serving whatsoever, and then all of a sudden United Way comes along and says, hey, it's our they, just this last week they had their day of serving, and I forget what it's called, but they'll send out little groups from corporations to different places, and okay, so now you've been exposed to one place. Is that some place you'd like to pour into? They've you know call them. What what kind of opportunities do you have? And just I mean, there's just a smorgasbord of opportunities out there to volunteer if with whatever your passion is and yeah. if you don't know what your passion is do a bunch of things <laughs> find it right <laughs> right so what about so what about the uh, what about youth I know that I've talked to other people and they've said oh you know I'd like to get involved with the youth I just don't know if I have time <laughs> I don't know you know I mean you've heard all those excuses time is too. the problem and that's our problem with homeless after. nobody wants to commit but, the time but it's just a matter of, so of dedicating and be you know for yeah. me at least I think that it's important that they make the time right? yeah you're given a certain amount of time you cannot possibly make any more time it is finite so be wise in how you use it. And that's hard for me. It's always been a hard balance for me. Um, I tend to take on too much and then I'm not home. And so I've really had to learn how to balance that, being able to say no to opportunities and, and know how much time I need to be at home. So I mean, you gotta be wise about it, but I mean, be wise about it. You know, Are you going home and watching Netflix all night? Or are you, or a big thing for me is uh, we have so many activities available for our kids here in Ankeny. Are you overactivating? <laughs> I mean, it's like you get to be crazy. I mean, you're you're running. You've got both parents taking multiple kids to all these different places all night long, and it's exhausting. I mean, like step back and evaluate some of that. And is this the best use of our time? And is this the best way to pour into our kids? And there's serving opportunities as families. I've taken my kids out doing homeless outreach since. Gosh, my son was. Well, if we've been doing it, he was probably eight or nine when we started and some people would be like you're going to take a little kid out to a homeless camp sure why not? i'm not going to do it after dark yeah <laughs> but yeah i mean i'm with an established organization these people know we're coming they appreciate what we're doing they're not hostile yeah i'm taking them out there i mean you can you can serve with your family my daughter when she was in high school did youth group and so she and i could serve together that was super cool she could be an intern for the younger grades while i was a sponsor and so we could go on mission trips and retreats and stuff and like it's just you can serve as a family you don't have to sacrifice family time for serving and I think it's in my opinion maybe a little more valuable than the gymnastics lessons when they're five you know get them out and, and do stuff so. and and I think that it's also fulfilling and rewarding sure you know the the make that time make that effort and and watch those kids grow mm -hmm. pour into them so. mm -hmm. all right mm -hmm. Kristen well with that I think we'll just wrap this thing up thank you for being with us sure well I hope you enjoyed the show as much as I did you know remember you can always uh, continue the conversation with us on Facebook at the God Watch podcast or visit us online at godwatchlive.com and uh, have a great week. Be blessed.